I just love how the Lord is so providential in his ways. I just happened to decide to take a break from Acts today so that I can preach a passage on Philippians 4 on being content in all circumstances and the air goes out. Yes. That's good, isn't it? We need to learn, don't we? To be content in all circumstances. Mark, Stephen, Chuck, Tim, Ronaldo, and myself leave tomorrow for the Shepherds Conference. In the morning, y'all can be praying for us as we travel. The conference will be on the inerrancy of God, of God's Word. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's an exciting time for us as we go and, and fellowship together and study God's Word and learn from some amazing uh, pastors and preachers of the Word of God who have stood firm for the truth. And looking forward to that. So be pre- please be praying for us as we seek to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord. In light of this, I did not want to get into the middle of the next section in Acts. If you, There's a, sometimes a dual motive for me taking breaks from books. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, the next passage, uh, Paul is going to have a long sermon. And that long sermon needs a little bit more time for me. I need some extra time. And I don't want to do half of it today and half of it in three weeks. I want it to all be kind of at least two weeks, not three weeks break. So... I thought it would be also good for us to deal with this issue, uh, Philippians 4, and this uh, concept of being content and being thankful and having a giving heart is something that we all need to hear over and over, right? Uh, So we're going to focus on that today. And then next week I'll probably, I'm I'm still debating this, uh, but I'm leaning towards doing, now hold on to your seat, uh, be careful. Uh, I might do my first topical message in 15 years uh, next week. And you're like, uh-oh, oh no. Everybody gets up and walks out. No, it will be on the inerrancy of God's Word. I will probably talk about the Word of God, and it might be a thematic... <laughs> Kenny's back there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a thematic sermon on the Word of God. I, I just, I, I really want to get some of the gleanings that I get this week from these messages and, and deal with this issue of what the Word of God is. And I, I just think it's very important. So we'll cover two passages concerning uh, these important topics these, this week and next week. Today we're going to deal with a passage that in, addresses... Contentment and gratitude in Christ. Uh, This is a passage that I need to preach to myself continuously. And also, it's what I believe our congregation needs to hear over and over and over. Especially in, in light of the community and culture we live in. And today's passage is focused on joy through dependence upon God's provision. Joy through dependence upon God's provision. The main theme of the book of Philippians is biblical joy. Biblical joy is a God-produced attitude of peace and contentment found in Christ. This theme of joy runs throughout the book of Philippians, and the book breaks down nicely in on these chapter divisions. If you look in your Bibles, 
In chapter 1, you have joy in all circumstances. For example, look at verse 12 of chapter 1. And it says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And then he concludes that paragraph with this. In other words, after it's realized that there are some that are preaching the gospel with false motives, even while he's in prison, Paul states in verse 18, What then? Question mark. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So Paul explains there is joy in all circumstances. And then in chapter 2, look over there. Joy in sacrifice and service of others. We especially see this in Philippians 2, 17, where it says... But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all. In other words, Paul understands that sacrificing and serving one another is where true joy is found. And then in chapter 3, joy in standing firm for the gospel. Notice in your Bibles, look at verse 8 of chapter 3. Let's look. Philippians 3, 8-11. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, and not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, we see in this passage that joy in standing firm for the gospel no matter what the circumstances. Again, he's developing this concept of joy and standing firm for the gospel. And then finally, we see joy in God's provision in chapter 4, which is where we are today. In our passage today, Paul turns to the main reason he wrote the letter. He writes to thank and acknowledge the Philippian church for their sacrificial gift to him while he is in prison. In Paul's thank you note, he exalts God for his faithful provision for him through this sacrificial giving. What we see in our passage today is contentment comes through experiencing God's providential care. Again, I'll say it again. Contentment or contentment comes through experiencing God's provision or, or providential care. In the previous section, Paul had exhorted in 4, 1 to 9, Paul had exhorted the believers to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, emphasizing the need to rest and be satisfied in the Lord. This was developed with that call to avoid worrying by praying with grateful hearts and a call to meditate or to think on what is Christ-like. Think on what is true and pure. So now Paul turns to the thank you note for the Philippians. And you could basically say from verse 10 to 20 is like a little thank you note. Now I don't know about you guys, but my thank you notes look nothing like that. Mine are, boy, I appreciate the gift you gave me and I've used it well. Something like that. Thank you for thinking of me in that area. 
Paul goes and explains the theology of a thank you note. The theology of a thank you note. Friends, this is arguably the finest thank you note ever written. In this thank you note, Paul lays out the theology of gratitude and contentment all in one paragraph. Every one of us loves to be thanked when we do something, correct? Some of us have right motives, or some of the times we have right motives, and some of the times we have bad motives when we get thanked. Why do we like to be thanked? Uh, Often it's because we like others to acknowledge our role in doing something kind for them. When they thank us, we are affirmed in our, quote, good works. Now herein lies the problem. We often think higher of ourselves than we should, correct? So sometimes we fail to interpret others' gratitude towards us properly. We see this as an opportunity to give ourselves a self-righteous pat on the back. We sometimes think, yes, that was nice of me, wasn't it? I deserve that pat on the back. Thank you for acknowledging that. But with these thoughts, we begin to fall into prideful thinking. We begin to think too high of ourselves So does this mean we should never express appreciation to one another? No. (laughs) Often, we pendle them the other way. We think, well, I'm not going to tell that person thank you. They might think too much of themselves. No, folks. Come on. We all need to respond appropriately, however, when people express thanks to us and for us. How should we respond to gratitude from others. Sometimes we as believers can recognize gratitude towards us correctly. We like being thanked because we recognize it's all because God has sovereignly used us to help others. We think immediately in our minds and pray, Wow, thank you, Lord, for using me to help this person. We don't always think this way, but sometimes we get it right. We recognize if we do anything good, it is because of we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. If you give a gift to somebody and they come up to you and say, thank you, your attitude should be, oh, that's one of those prepared good works that you did for me, God. Thank you. You did it. Praise God. That's the right attitude towards these things. We don't think theologically like that sometimes, do we? We just like the pat on the back. Today we get to see why Paul's right view of God's provision through his servants sets up a beautiful thank you note. This passage will help us to view kindness towards us properly. It will also help us to be gracious people towards others. It will also help us to worship God more. Today we see true joy is found in understanding God's providential care for us. The thank you note breaks down into five sections. Notice, gratitude is introduced in verse 10. Contentment is described in verse 11 to 14. Appreciation is articulated in verses 15 to 17. Blessing is explained in 18 to 19. And worship results or is expressed in Verse 20. So let's start with this introduction to thankfulness. The gratitude is introduced. Notice in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, 
that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Again, Paul starts with the theme again. I rejoice in the Lord. The main theme of the letter. Joy in the Lord. Biblical gratitude towards others with a recognition of where all the good works have taken place. Where have they taken place? In the Lord. In the realm of the Lord's sovereign rule. Again, that's what he's rejoicing in. He's rejoicing in saying, I I am completely satisfied in the realm of the Lord, in His existence, in His sovereign reign. Again, Paul is joyful in the Lord because he knows all that the Philippians have done for him is in the realm of Jesus Christ, his Lord. Paul expresses his joy in the Lord because of what the church did for him. And Paul's joy is great over these circumstances. Notice why is he joyful in the Lord? It says that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. The church in Philippi had a revived concern for Paul. What brought Paul great joy in the Lord was the Philippian church's revived concern for Paul. It's important to note what, Paul, what brought Paul joy to mind first was the attitude towards him even more than the gift. Make sure you get this and, and, and understand this very clearly. What brought Paul joy first to his mind was the attitude of the people towards him more than their gift, a revived concern. That's talking about literally a revived mind. They had a right attitude towards me. The believers were others-minded. <laughs> and boy, this brings great joy to Paul's mind. Specifically, they thought of Paul in his hard circumstances. Joyful gratitude is found in the believer when he recognizes God's providential care for us through the hard attitudes of other believers. You know, I am all about this too. I want my heart to be right when I give something. How about you? I don't want to just give gifts for the sake of getting the pat on the back. I want to give it out of worship to God. I want to understand who He is and what He's done and how I can be an instrument of God to help other people. I don't always think that way, do I? Do you all think this way all the time? Often when we give, we're thinking of, yeah, I've got this duty that I've got to do. And if I do this, then okay, then maybe, maybe they'll like me a little bit more. It's not the reason. Ultimately, Paul knew, though, that despite 10 years of being separated from the Philippian church, God used these believers to provide for him. The same church had provided earlier for Paul, as we'll see in verse 15. But I believe the lack of opportunity that he talks about here was talking about probably just based on how poor these people were. They were extremely poor people. Look over at 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. The Philippians are in a section, or Philippi is in a section called Macedonia. They were part of the church there. Thessalonica and Philippi. We'll see this in Acts 16. Most likely Paul is speaking of this church when he speaks to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Notice it says, Now brethren, 
We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. <laughs> what in the world does all that mean? Well, here's what it means. They had great joy in giving even if they were poor. They found great joy in giving despite their poverty. And Paul understood this. He understood this church's attitude towards him and towards the Lord was right in their giving. And this brings great joy to Paul, as we saw in Philippians chapter 4. Turn back there. Friends, this church gave from their poverty. They were initially so poor they couldn't give. But they, when they got together the funds, they gave anyway. This is a reason to rejoice, right? Paul knows this kind of sacrificial attitude screams, God is at work in this group. This is where joy is found for the pastor, by the way. There is no greater joy than to see evidence of the Lord working in the sheep. That is my greatest joy beyond anything. The joy that Paul expresses is the same joy our good shepherd experiences when we sacrificially serve one another. So Paul starts the thank you note with an expression of his joy in the Lord over their gracious attitude shown towards him. I think sometimes we are afraid to affirm someone's kindness towards us because we think they might get the big head, as I mentioned. But church, if we express it correctly, saying thank you is definitely in order. Listen to me closely. I think if we never thank anyone for anything, we're both missing an opportunity to encourage a brother or sister, but we're also or missing an opportunity to exalt the Lord's work in another person. Listen to me closely. Are you hearing me? This is so crucial. I think all too often we are so focused on ourselves that when somebody does something kind to us, we just take it for granted and think, oh, yeah, that, that's what I deserve. We might not say that, but that's what, how we act. You know, how many times, spouses, do we, we just ex expect people to, our spouse to treat us a certain way? You know, if, if we come home and the dinner isn't cooked, we complain. Man, shame. Who are we? But when we come home and there is a nice dinner, we don't show much of our affirmation or anything of that. It's like, yeah, I'm here, I'm sitting on the couch, great, I got it. I know that one hurt, right? It'll leave a mark. The fact of the matter is, is that we are selfish people and we aren't very quick to be grateful and thankful, are we? And when we do, we're failing to express what? We're failing to express that God is at work in our spouse. That's so crucial. By the way, that goes the other way, ladies, too. There's men that are out there working. You know, oh, yeah, but their job's easy. They don't, you know... They get to go out and experience all these great people and all these new things. No, I would imagine work is not always beautiful and easy, is it, guys? Or ladies, for that matter, right? It's hard. We need to express gratitude towards one another because, after all, we're exalting God. 
Finally, we may be so self-focused that we think only of ourselves constantly, so we're not thankful. If all you do is point out problems with your spouse or your children or your family, is it possible you're failing to acknowledge the sovereign provision of God towards you, towards you through them? Do you understand? I think a person who fails to express gratitude is a person that either thinks too high of themselves or is a person who fails to see the glory of God in providing for you through them. Joy in the Lord is found in recognizing God's work in others. Did you hear that? Joy of the Lord is found in recognizing God's work in others. And if all you see is bad in everybody, you're not how much joy, are you? You're also only going to think of who? Yourself. And you're also blaspheming who? God. Practical atheists, in a way. Are you a person characterized by gratitude? Are you a person characterized by acknowledging others' gifts towards you? Maybe you think, well, no one does anything for me. (laughs) Well, I beg to differ. Because ultimately, friends, you are alive. God is using people to help you all the time. When was the last time you thanked somebody for serving you? I thought of the mailman. (laughs) I thought of the mailman. Jimmy says, amen. (laughs) If you fail to acknowledge other people's service of you, then you're probably failing to acknowledge God's service of you through them. Do you got it? Let's move on. Contentment. Contentment is described. Notice he says in verse 11, Not that I speak from from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in or I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance... And suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Notice this in this section. Biblical gratitude towards others is founded upon a content heart. Do you hear this? Biblical gratitude towards others is founded upon a content heart. You know, if we are content with Christ in all circumstances, no matter what anybody does for us, we will be thankful. Did you hear that? Think about that for a second. Think about it. Just let it sit. That's what Paul's saying here. If you are content with Christ, if you are content with Him, you are completely satisfied with Him, you will be very grateful for anything that comes your way. Because you will understand that it comes from God and you are content with Christ with or without whatever they gave you. You're satisfied with Christ. Notice, Paul was a content man. Notice, he does not speak from want, he says. Paul understood he was not lacking anything essential. He knew he had everything God wanted him to have. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Does anybody have 
and recognize and understand that you have all that you need. Are you satisfied with what you have? Everybody's saying yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Hey, man, we got a rival going on here. <laughs> Did you say that all week? Uh, no. <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't, did we? No, we didn't. He knew he had everything God wanted him to have, so he had no want. He had all that God had given him, and he was okay with what he had. He Now, notice, what does a content man look like? He had learned contentment. That is a crucial, crucial little verb. I have learned to be content. And it said twice. It said twice in verse 11 and then again in 12. I have learned the secret of being filled or going hungry. What does this mean? Friends, this is extremely encouraging to me. Contentment is not caught. It is taught. Contentment is not a magical gift. Oh, you don't wake up one morning saying, Oh! I'm a content man forever. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't just go, boop. Okay, content man. That's a content man. Oh, don't you wish it was like that sometimes? If I could just walk around and always be a content man in all circumstances and God could just go, click, you got it. You're a content person, always. But it doesn't work that way. It's learned. It's learned. We learn by experiencing the satisfaction of God through all circumstances. We learn it by being satisfied with Christ no matter where we are and what we're going through. I do want you to understand that we have to be placed in various circumstances in order to learn this. Crucial, crucial, crucial point. How did Paul learn how to be hungry? He was hungry. <laughs> See, he had learned to be content in all circumstances. Again, to be content in every circumstance, we have to be what? In every circumstance. We have to be there. We have to sit under it. We've got to experience it. So everybody says, well, I'm ready for the riches. That's the one I want. I want to learn how to be content with riches. Give me that one. I've never experienced that one before. Have you? Beloved, no. Actually, friends, this is not as easy as you would think. Having it and then losing it is when the problem comes. We can begin to rely upon the wealth to have our happiness. And as the wealth comes, we say, man, this is easy. But the problem is, is that you are actually content in the wealth, not in Christ. Again, you're content in the circumstance, not in Christ. Again, that's not what Paul's saying. He gets a whole truckload of money as a gift from the churches, and he doesn't say, oh, this is great. 
His attitude really didn't change when the money came. He learned to be satisfied with what? Christ. And it had nothing to do with the money. It had nothing to do with the money. Having a lot of riches can actually be a gigantic stumbling block, can it? Boy, I saw it in the name it and claim it preachers. Boy, they're all consumed with those idols. They have their Lexuses and their big jets that they fly around. Shame on them. Drives me crazy every time I see that kind of stuff. I saw one video yesterday of Creflo. Oh, my. He was screaming at the crowd going, Give me money! Give me money! And they started screaming, Give me money! Give me more, God! And the whole crowd, the whole church, and he was screaming, Give me money! Exactly. It's, it's almost catchy. Give it to me! Give it to me! Give it to me! That's what he was saying. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, my! How does the building not fall down on these people? It's only the... Grace of God, the mercy of God, that the building didn't immediately fall out on them. Contentment is learned. Yes, we might experience times of wealth, but we're not content with the wealth. We are learned to be content with Christ with the wealth. Again, if we worry, if worry is our problem in our heart, we're failing to trust in the Lord's provision. Same context. The whole thing's wrapped there. But if we are content in all circumstances, we are trusting in Christ and satisfied with Him alone. Do you understand your bank account should not dictate how joyful you are? Really? That is the total opposite of how everybody teaches in the, or not everybody, many evangelical churches are teaching that now. Correct? Beloved, if you have nothing in your bank account and you have Christ, that's good. That's the all-satisfying place to be, isn't it? Fear is often a symptom of a heart that's not trusting in Christ and not satisfied with Him. Now, fear comes as circumstances change, but we find and we learn that Christ never changes as our circumstances do change. Do you hear me get this? Please, what always changes? Circumstances. What never changes? Christ. They always change. We're going to all go through riches and poor. Health and sickness. Right? We're all going to go through those. But if Christ is all satisfying, it doesn't matter about the circumstances. That's where we have to be. Y'all get this? This is where Paul was. How did he get there? He learned it. (laughs) He learned it through the pain of all these changing circumstances. He knows the secret to contentment in any and all circumstances. So what is the secret to contentment in all circumstances? I believe it's trust in the all-satisfying Christ, no matter, what is the cir- what, no matter what the circumstances are. In other words, the secret is complete 
trust and dependence and enjoyment of Christ. That's the secret. And that's what he means, by the way, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that verse is so horribly preached every time, almost every time. Not, I keep saying, you're not supposed to do that because there are good and godly people that preach the Bible. Again, I'm not affirming that God is working when I say every time. The reality is, is this is often taught wrong, correct? This does not mean I can win every battle the way the world defines victory through the physical strength or my own mental strength that Christ provides. You know, I, it never fails to get me a little bit frustrated when you see on TV the guy that wins the championship or whatever in a certain sport, and he quotes this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think to myself, oh, poor one, what would have happened if you would have lost? What would have happened? Would you have said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? He's satisfied. I don't care if I win or lose. People don't say that. But that's the point of the verse. Are we content that way? Are we? No, that verse is used as a name it and claim it type verse. Oh, shame, man, they missed the whole point. In other words, biblical contentment is independent of our circumstances. Even being physically full or hungry or being monetarily rich or poor, I'm still okay. I'm good. Why? Because Christ is all satisfying. Our problem is always, where is our heart? If our joy, our satisfaction, our contentment is in our circumstances, we will always be miserable or we'll be on the verge of misery in a moment's notice. Do you understand, folks? We're not promised another day. None of our children are promised another day. Not a single dollar that you have is a promised another day. Do you understand that we could have everything taken from us tomorrow? Everything. How do you survive? Christ. He's all satisfying. You better learn it now. Because one day you may have to learn it in a much harder circumstance. If our joy is in the Lord, then when we face various circumstances, Christ will then strengthen us through these various circumstances. Again, this is not automatic. It is learned and it requires dependence. This reminds me of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians again. Look over there, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. The Apostle Paul has just been given a brief preview of heaven. I don't know about you guys, but can you imagine? He most likely saw 
heaven. You think it'd be a little bit hard to come back and get your mind back in the game? I'm like, whoa, I'm going to that place one day. I'm going to be there one day. And Paul explains what happens in 2 Corinthians 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a throne, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather boast about my weakness than the power of Christ, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Beloved, are we there? How many of you can say verse 10? How many of you can agree with verse 10? Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. Oh, yeah, that one comes to my mind right away, right? with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Contentment is able to understand a relationship with God as independent of earthly possessions and circumstances. And as we experience various trials, we depend upon the Lord and find Him to be all-satisfying. I am convinced... This is where God's discipline is most painful in our lives for many of us. We just don't like pain, do we? Anybody like pain? None of us like pain. We don't like pain physically. We don't like pain financially. We don't like pain relationally, do we? None of us do. We want things to be painless. We do everything we can to keep us from experiencing pain. Why do you think the fan's here? I asked him to put a fan up here so that in the middle of the sermon, I wasn't dropping sweat everywhere. I'm already spitting. We don't need the other water. We want people to like us. We don't like pain. But it's at these moments that we learn to be content with Christ. We learn that He is the all-satisfying God. That He's enough. And I don't need any more. Are you there? I still need more learning. What about you? God wants us to be satisfied with Him. The great news is, is as we trust Him and seek Him and rest in Him in all our circumstances, He provides the strength, the grace to not only survive, but to thrive in our circumstance. You want to see a true believer? 
Look at where their joy is when they're enduring trials. How do you do when you're sick? I've heard many of us, we've talked about this. Man, I'm the worst sick person known to man. Just let me get away from everybody and let me sit by myself. There's a problem there, isn't there? Sickness now gives me an excuse to be selfish. Are you kidding? It doesn't work that way. How do we do when we are reviled? How do we do when we're mistreated? How do we do when we experience financial hardships? Three weeks ago, I got it, or maybe four weeks ago, I got a letter in the mail saying my mortgage was going up. In our house, I, I'll just lay it out there. My mortgage was going up because the insurance had gone up to $3,100 for a year for our house. I'm like, what? $3,100 a year. Do you understand how crazy that is? That's crazy. How am I going to afford an extra $200 a month? Or an extra $100 a month? $150 a month? I admit that at first when I saw that letter, I was angry. I was frustrated. And then I called them and they said, it's the dog. The dog? Yeah, if you didn't have the dog or the trampoline, I might be able to get your insurance down. Content in all circumstances. Not my poor kids, right? Might have to get rid of the dog. Tears flow. Got to find another solution. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find another solution. Would I been? Would I have been content if I couldn't find cheaper insurance? That's the question. Praise God! Right? <laughs> Got insurance for nine hundred or eight hundred and seventy-five dollars a year instead by shopping. Grace, right? Not deserved grace. You have amply supplied all my needs, God. A content person lives dependent on God for his strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. See, he gets it. He understands. He understands that it's really, if I'm content when I get something... I acknowledge, I acknowledge what? You have done well to share with me in my affliction. You partnered with me in my affliction by them giving. Folks, I don't always think this way, and I don't always view my trials this way. Too often I have battled my heart to get to the place of dependence and contentment with Christ. But occasionally I get the privilege of being used by God to suffer for His glory And you all get to partner with me. 
I confess every, it's, it's almost every day I look at Luke, I just praise, the, praise God. That last year, you understand, last year at this time, I got to see God's grace on display through you guys. And how beautiful that was. If, I wouldn't, if we wouldn't have gone through those circumstances, we wouldn't have seen the glory of God on display in how you gave and you prayed and you sought and you loved us. Oh, you shared with me. You partnered with me in my affliction. It's beautiful, isn't it? Reminds me of one other time is when we started this church. Man, I, I'm telling you, there have been... Uh, I have experienced very few families that have loved me like the Samick family have loved me. I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever experienced from humans what the Samicks did in that process and how much they loved me. I am telling you, they partnered with me in my afflictions. I praise God for that. All of that had to happen through going through difficult trials, though. All of that came through the pain. I've wept with some of you guys going through things. I've wept with you. And in all that, we have seen that Christ is enough, isn't he? He's all satisfying, isn't he? No matter what our circumstances are, he's enough. I love partnering with you guys. This is what I want. I want to say publicly to all of you, thank you. Thank you for your love of the Savior. I'm thankful to the Lord for using you to minister to me. I have been greatly blessed by you guys. Notice the third section begins with an appreciation is architect, or articulated. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which, is incre- which increases to your account. Notice what causes Paul to articulate his appreciation to the Lord. And to, to the church and saying, hey, I acknowledge what you've done. They were consistent givers. Verses 15 to 16 shows that. From the beginning of the church, from the start of this church, this church in Philippi, in Macedonia, was a giving church. They didn't just give a little bit at the beginning. They continually gave. They were a giving church. Now, I'm going to say it here. Folks, and I want to repeat this. The sheep are like their shepherd. He was a giving man and they were giving sheep. I want to be a giving church. How about you guys? I want to be consistent in my giving. I think we all need to be consistent in our giving. Now, at this time you're thinking, oh man, I haven't heard Pastor Mike preach on money ever. Don't think. I'm going to tell you, it's where joy is found in giving. There's great joy there. To sacrifice for others is a good thing. And after all, what are they sacrificing for? The proclamation of the gospel. 
They wanted more disciples. That's why they're saying, hey, don't worry about working. Here's some money. Focus your attention on those disciples that you're making. That's what we saw at Antioch as they sent them out. That's what we see. Beloved, they partnered in the ministry. Again, it brings it up in 15. You shared with me in the matter of giving. Again, this is the root word is the same root word that the ladies have been studying in 1 John for koinonia, mutual partnership. That is, these believers saw giving to Paul as an opportunity to partner with him in the ministry. And this caused Paul to express his gratitude to God through them. I think too often we misunderstand giving in church. We think in some way we are helping our cause with God. That's not what giving's about. It's not about that. Now, yes, you'll see in verse 17 there is reward. But ultimately, the primary motivation of the person that's giving is to help others, to love others. That's the point. When we were in the previous church, we actually had some people, or a person in specifics, I won't tell you his name, but he didn't go to church. He went to no church. But we got an offering every month, a substantial offering. But he never went to church. I asked, what in the world, why does this guy do this? Why does he give the money? I don't know. Well, that would be a discipleship question, wouldn't it? For somebody that's on the roll, what do you think? I think often people, this is what happens in Roman Catholicism. Do you understand that? People are doing these things to somehow earn favor with God and get right with Him. Beloved, if you are giving so that God will get you to heaven, stop. I don't want you to blaspheme God anymore. Don't give me a, don't give this church. Nobody give that money if you're giving for that reason. Or if you're giving to get rich, I think you still might be missing the point. I'd rather you not even do that. Don't give me any money if it, you think you're going to get rich by giving. I don't want that. We don't want that, do we, Mark? Please, no. Don't give it. But if you're giving because Christ died for you, and you love the king, and you want the gospel to go out and be proclaimed around the world, then give. This is what the church was about in Philippi. God wants your heart. He already has your money. He owns it all. He wants you dependent upon him. If he's your Savior and Lord, you will give with joy. You will give with joy to help participate in the ministry. Now, this does not mean that there aren't some rewards for giving. Notice it says it in verse 17. They are promised rewards. Not that I seek the gift itself, Paul saying, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, this is very interesting. It's important to note that this is not talking about the motives of the giver. It doesn't necessarily even speak to that. That's called reading in the white spaces. It's talking about Paul wanting them to give so that they will receive the rewards in the future. Now, this is very interesting. I I really believe 
and, and, and you've got to read the whole book of Philippians and you've got to understand the gospel. But I, you know what I think the reward is? Increase to your account. I think that you'll, you will enjoy Christ more. You'll know God more. Because ultimately he says, I don't need anything but Christ. So why would he say, it's really about you getting rich. Give and you'll get rich. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think his point is what? That you'll know him more. It'll increase your account. That you'll understand Christ more. You will enjoy him more. And maybe there are some rewards in heaven. But what are our rewards in heaven? I know there are. The scripture says it. But what are those rewards in heaven? What, what are the rewards in heaven that I can get? I mean, you can't say, well, one guy's going to see Jesus more. Another guy's not. I mean, one guy's going to be on that side of the universe and another's on this side. And close. No, I don't think it's that. What is this reward? Well, I know there's a passage in Revelation that says that we throw our crowns at his feet. Opportunity to give glory to him. When God says, well done, good and faithful servant, we all go, what? Only because you. Only because you. More opportunity to worship, maybe? I think these are the main things. And yet, there is the practical aspect of providing our needs, and God does provide those, doesn't he? But listen, if you're... If you're buried in debt and you're, you get your paycheck and you think, man, that message, I just love Jesus so much. I'm going to give a whole bunch to my, to my church and I'm not going to pay my mortgage this month. There's a problem. That's a problem. Do you understand? I'm going to lie to the world in order to give something to the church. That's a problem. Boy, the offerings are going to drop this week, Mark. <laughs> now, that does not mean, listen to me closely. I think some people, well, I'll just get, you know, pastor said I can buy whatever I want, and just i got to pay them first. And no, 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 no. You get yourself in a, a mountain load of debt, and then you can't give to the church, that's your problem. The debtor is the slave to the lender, correct? We all need to get out of debt, quick. And we need to stop saying, I need that, and I need that, and I need that. Beloved, you can't give only because you were unable to kill the idols in your heart that were saying, I got to have all these things. Oh, I would argue that we weren't content with what we had. None of us have arrived on this. None of us. Nobody in this room has arrived on this. But all of us need to learn more, don't we? I confess I'd love to send out new missionaries from here every year, wouldn't you? That'd be cool. Every year, send out another family. But I'd love to send them out amply supplied as Paul was. I'd love to send them out full and in need of nothing. Again, the only reason to move from this place, this building that the air conditioner doesn't always work, is to maybe supply to make 
more disciples. But ultimately, I desire to invest primarily in people. I think the elder board agrees. We are wanting to invest in disciple makers more than anything else. That's what we're about. If that means staying in this building, guess what, folks? Get ready. We're going to stay here. If it means we need to change these chairs out to get the small chairs so we can all sit a little bit closer, we'll do that. Put a little bit more people in the room. I know the chairs are nice, but come on. Most important thing is what? People making disciples more than anything else. You know, folks, it's not rocket science. We need to make disciples, right? We need to send disciples in order to make more disciples. That's what we're about. If we can do all this from this, all that from this building, great. If God gives us a little bigger space, great. If not, we will be what? Content. And we'll turn the fans on. The fourth section, the blessing, is explained. We'll close with this because it jumps right into the last section. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. And again, what we see here is, is that there is a promise of blessing but what is the, fi- the greatest blessing? What is the thing that I want more than anything else? I think it's what you see right there in this passage. The second half of verse 18. What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. You know what I want? This is what I want. More than what you think of these messages. More than any of that. More than my wife looking at me at the end. I know when I sometimes say this to her, I get in the car and I say, baby, how did it go? Was it a good sermon or not? She looks at me and says, yeah, it was good. More than that. (laughs) I want my father to smile. I want my heavenly father to be pleased. Some of y'all don't understand or you're trying to work through this and I can't wait to go through this. This is my project on the doctoral program is to talk about the father-son relationship and we're going to talk, we're going to get to do a bunch of messages on it and look at all the passages. It's going to be awesome. Some of y'all have struggled with understanding what a heavenly father is like because maybe your fathers weren't that great. Maybe your fathers were harsh. But I want to tell you there's a heavenly father And that heavenly father, there is nothing greater, nothing greater than serving and knowing that he is pleased with us. I don't do it because I know that if I don't give, he's going to backhand me. No, I don't do it for that reason. I do it because I know my heavenly father takes great joy in seeing his children give and sacrifice and be content with Christ alone. That is not the same as work salvation, beloved. That's not the same. Work salvation is thinking that God is an ogre up there and he's about to smack me. And if I don't do this, he won't accept me. Somehow we lower the level and think that God's going to 
accept us. And that's a wrong view of God. But this here, in verse 18 and 19, a fragrant aroma, he smells it and it's sweet to God when you give with the right motives of your heart. A content heart gives with all-out joy and sacrifice. Happy giving. And what does the Father look at? And how does the Father respond to this? He is well pleased. And then He supplies all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I don't think the, His riches and glory and glory in Christ Jesus is there for no reason. I'm completely convinced that he sees more of an eternal perspective than he does a temporal perspective. Do you understand? Contrary to the Word of Faith movement, it is not give to get rich here. (laughs) It's give because we know the all-glorious Christ who is reigning in heaven and we will share with him in glory one day. That's what it's about. It's not about here and now. And here's the wild thing. We don't need a thank you, do we? We don't need a thank you. Because we're all completely satisfied with Christ. But when we hear a thank you, we affirm who? God. Because we know that God used us despite us. And then we give, and we sacrifice, and we live for, and we love people because we know God. And we conclude with worship. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we worship. And we praise our King. It's good, isn't it? Are you satisfied with Christ? If you weren't satisfied with Christ this week, it's time for confession. (laughs) Talk to the Lord. Remember what it cost Christ for every moment that we weren't content with Christ. Cost Him His life. He died on the cross to pay for sin, even the sin of complaining and grumbling and lack of contentment. We need Him, don't we? Praise God that He's provided a beautiful sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You. We exalt You. We want to please You. Lord, we know that you have given your son. And by giving your son, we are overwhelmingly supplied with all that we need. We are blessed beyond belief. We have all the spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. And for this, we exalt you and we are satisfied. Christ is enough. Thank you. Oh, Father, 
may our hearts of gratitude now spill over in sacrificial living. Help us to serve others, love others, honor you, and exalt you through our obedience to our Lord. We thank you for this time, Lord. We pray if there's any in here that aren't disciples, that today they will acknowledge that their sin, they are sinful, and they need a Savior, and that they will commit to you and know the joy of being satisfied with Christ alone. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, how to be content in all circumstances. For we know that your grace is sufficient and your power is perfected in our weakness. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.